slovenly trolls, slovenly trolls, we're big, bad, evil girls. Hello, harlots, and welcome to the Slovenly Trolls. It is a new month. There is some new content for you, some juicy good meat juice coming up right here. And I will be the host of this meat juice, the cook in the kitchen, the sauce to your dish. Hi. And with, with me, as always, will be the other co-host, and you can self-dub yourself. Uh, I, hi, I'm Charday. um, you're Lissa, and, uh, I am the spice. Can I be, like, the spice? Sure. Yeah, I'll be the spice. I like, like, if you don't season your meat, what are you doing, you know? So, like, <laughs> I... Like, I'm not necessary. Like, I don't have to be here, but I make it better, you know? Like, I make everything taste better. <laughs> one's wet, one's spicy. Let's go with that. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I like it. I like our new designations. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's talk about wet and spicy Rashomon culture, because that's what we're doing. <laughs> no. That's don't what we're doing. That. That's what we're doing this episode. Which, fun fact, the Forgotten Realms wiki calls a gynocracy, or a gynarchy, actually. So, let's go into it and delve deep and dive and find out what is a gynarchy, or a gynocracy, or a gynococracy. Because there's a lot of terms that mean the same thing, essentially. And we've put the best sleuths we know onto the case aka the slovenly sleuths. Best sleuths around, obviously. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we will be looking at the gynocracy and all of that jazz for our context, as well as the Rashomon witches and their lore. And then we will go into two prestige classes, which they have in 3.5, because fun fact, these witch bitches have the Hathrans and the Durthans in 3.5e. And we know what prestige classes are because of our previous episode. <laughs> I love how you said that. We know what that is. It's like that Captain America line from, well, I think, the first Avengers movie. It's just like, I got that reference. Yeah. That's how I feel every time people bring up prestige classes now, 100%. Like, like I, I know that what that is. Yeah, I know what that is. Yes. Nerd points. Yeah. But before we go into the juicy good meat juice, let's talk about our Patreon shoutouts. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm excited Mm-mm. because we would like to thank the following people. Becca Melema, Matt Dunn, Brian Sheldon, Russ Luzetsky, Nathan Wilson, Dread Ninja, Chrissy Bay, aka Fireboy, Dungeon Daddy Rick of Hammer of the Gods, Jordan McLanson, Nick Andrewson, Casmer Lieber, Carter Haas, Jason Gonzalez, Bethany Hobmeyer, Ray Kreveling, Dave Tulgetsky, Andrew Massey, Brian, Tolkien the Enforcer, and then our super special Patreon producer tier shout out. Our thanks go to Chantrell, Jeremy Raymond, and Kim Winston. Thank you. Thank you. We thank, appreciate thank you. you. Now, if you do not want to go on our Patreon and sign up, then you can still support the podcast. 
by da, 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 rating the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Leave us a star rating on either one for our eternal love. Or if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, like the following people, Leshback, Star Mama C, or Vegan Boy Josh, you will get a personalized song from moi, me, Lissa, <laughs> and I will be sending those out very, very soon. Will they be any good? You don't know, but uh, these three people- <laughs> That's these, a part of the surprise. Yeah, these three people will find out. <laughs> So look out for a super special song on the social accounts at Slovenly Trolls everywhere. But before we move on to part one, we do have a couple content warnings that we would like to state in case there's something iffy that you don't want to listen to. We will be discussing racism. We will be discussing grooming. There will be some stalking mentioned and references to sexual assault and masochism so if those are topics that absolutely you do not want to listen to or have mentioned then please move on to either the next episode or go back in time to listen to some of our previous episodes on that note let's find out all about gynocentrism i guess <laughs> context <laughs> for our episode on the russian Part 1. Gynocracy. By me, Lissa. Why are we talking about a gynocracy? And what is it, you may be asking. And I have the answers for you. One simple answer about why we're talking about gynocracies is the Forgotten Realms wiki. Oh dear. <laughs> I know. It's dated on the Rashman page. That the Rashomon were what they called a majo magocratic gynarchy. Magocratic gynarchy. I'm gonna go with magocratic gynarchy. It's so it's so close to MAGA, it makes me uncomfortable. It makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm sweating already. <laughs> yep. So a magocracy, according to the general internet, multiple sources, is a form of government where only those with the ability to magic can wield executive power. Therefore, not like a democracy, not like a, it's a, it's a fantasy government-ish power term. Yeah. So Harry Potter, majocracy. Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings, kind of, majocracy. Well, not really. <laughs> but anyway, like the point being, when you have magical abilities in a, in a fantasy world, or a, I guess you could have them in sci-fi as well, and they wield executive power, that's a magocracy. So magic okay. power. Magicocracy. Magicocracy. Magocracy. So the Russian are a ma magocratic gynarchy. So gynarchy is which I kind of chose to pinpoint and do my deep delve dive into. And... Boy, is it a big wormhole, rabbit hole. It's a <laughs> hole. It's a tunnel. It's so deep and so confusing that I got myself confused and I gaslighted myself, basically. Gynarchy is just one name of many that are very similar, all to do with basically women in power. There is gynarchy, there is gynocracy, there's gynococracy, and then there's gynococracy spelled differently. And they're all very similar. And some of them 
some of these dictionaries cite them as like also called or like synonyms of each other. And I could not find a credible source, one credible source that could tell me what the difference is between all of them or most of them. So I'm very confused, but I'm going to tell you what I think and how I made sense of it all. But we are not experts. I have done one week of research on this topic. So if you have dedicated, for example, your whole academic career to something like this, please reach out to me and give an answer to the question of what is the difference between all of these terms. DMs are open. Yes, my DMs are open. I would love to talk to you. And better yet, if you have a credible source for what they are and how they differ from each other, because they are maybe minute differences, which I also did Mm -hmm. read. But then other sources would go and say that, you know, they're the same thing. And we know in history, nothing is ever simple. So... A lot of the times, some of the terms were used interchangeably because people don't know what they're talking about sometimes. So, Like us sometimes. Like us sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Everybody makes mistakes, including us. If we mm-hmm. get it wrong, call us out on social media and tell us, here's why it's wrong. Here's what you should be looking at. Here's a credible source. Listen to me. And then I'll be like, oh, yes. Okay. So I started with guidearchy because that is what the Rashman wiki started with. But I, my first three sources, I shit you not, my first three sources to looking into what a guidearchy is, one was research on sexual assault. It was a big book uh, with the R word in the title. The second one that I found was about male masochism. And then the third one, I don't even remember because at that point I got so put off from this and I'm like, I do not understand. Like, I know what the Rashomon are because we've done the symbol and that's why we're here. These are not the things that I am looking for. (laughs) These are not the themes that I am looking for. I am looking for women in power and those just didn't seem correct. So I went from gynarchy to gynocracy to gynecocracy. And my favorite terms to use for this are gynocracy and gynecocracy, because apparently those two are the same thing, just slightly spelled differently. And I focus on gynecocracy because that had the most credible resources and the most research that I could find that was accessible to me, myself and I. So apart from being smut from the Victorian age in 19 or 1893, what is gynecocracy? Because it's also a book on smut, which is fascinating. And we'll probably (laughs) talk about that on After Dark. I need to know everything about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll save that for After Dark. Oh my god. Hello? Yes. Victorian smut is my (laughs) special interest. So the definition of gynecocracy, or gynocracy, comes from the Greek word gyna, which means woman, and the Greek word kratos, which means to rule. So essentially meaning women in control. And as Merriam-Webster puts, it's the political supremacy of women. And I saw that and I'm like, okay, yes, this makes sense to me. This is what the Rashomon are. And to double check, I checked the Collins Dictionary, which said government by women or by a single woman. And so I use the term gynecocracy because that sounds correct. That's what I'm looking for. There were a couple sources that mentioned matriarchy and gynecocracy. And I immediately got confused again, because what is the difference between the two, right? 
what's the difference between a matriarchy and a gynecocracy? Because we know what a matriarchy is based on what the drow episode told us. But why were they being used together in some of my sources again? Because Mm -hmm. based on what we know, they are not the same. Yet they were somehow being used as synonyms in some of the sources that I read. So I went and found myself an essay by a person called Peggy Reeves Sanday, who is a Fulbright scholar, has a PhD from Pittsburgh, was a professor of anthropology in the University of Pennsylvania, and an assistant professor at Carnegie Mellon. Their interests are in women's studies, anthropology of gender, multiculturalism, and sexual culture. So I thought, you know what, this person knows what they're talking about. Their essay was called Matriarchy as a Sociocultural Form, an Old Debate in New Light. Essentially, they focus on matriarchy, but they did kind of talk about gynecocracy versus matriarchy, which is where my kind of interest for the beginning of this context lied. And they went on to describe how gynecocracy and matriarchy have historically actually been mixed up with each other. So works throughout history have both been mistranslated, gynecocracy words being mistranslated into the word matriarchy, and likewise, vice versa. They were being basically used as synonyms of each other in 1967, which my question begs, how does this affect D&D? Because D&D was in 1980s. And if in 1967 they were basically known as synonyms of each other, my interest would be to kind of question how did Gary Gygax and Ed Greenwood and the people in the D&D and TTRPG space, how did they use them? Did they use them correctly? Because clearly they didn't use them correctly. We know this from the matriarchy episode. But did they confuse them with each other? Did they use them as synonyms of each other because as we know the matriarchy in drow culture was them having political power even though a matriarchy it was a flipped patriarchy anyway that was something that i wanted to kind of maybe poke at charday what do you think about this oh um well i don't i i don't know because i don't think i've ever seen gynocracy or gynecocracy ever used in a dnd book Ever. The only instance we found of gynecocracy was in the Rashomon wiki, the mm-hmm. majocratic gynocracy. So when I was doing my research for part two, I was looking specifically for gynocracy or gynecocracy. Mm-hmm. I never found it. I never found one instance of that term, which is strange because we all know how much Gary Gygax loves to use words that most people don't know because he has a very extensive vocabulary, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't find any instance of it. So while I'm sure they were quote unquote, like familiar maybe with the concept because they tried, I guess, to make drought a matriarchy. I don't necessarily know if even they were familiar with the term gynocracy, which begs the question, why did the wiki even use that term? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like what, what possessed them to use that instead of matriarchy? And also were they correct in using gynecocracy instead mm-hmm. of matriarchy, you know? It's very complicated. As I said, I tried to, this is my TLDR. So TLDR, what I learned 
a gynecocracy is women in political power. A matriarchy is a society based on womenly values that is egalitarian. So mother motherly people in power. And with that, like an entirely different form of leadership. And side note, women in political power is very significant because immediately when I started looking into gynecocracy, I found how it was very interlinked with history of women and becoming like queens and kind of like taking the place of kings. And very many sources were talking about how politics in real life is very masculine throughout history, especially in the time period through early modern Europe. So we're talking early Middle Ages to the Industrial Revolution, which is interesting to me because that's when a lot of women came into political power. That's when we have people like Mary I. That's when we have people like Catherine de Medici. And that's when we have, I think, Catherine of Sweden as well. This is like a time period when people came in, women came into power or power was thrust upon them. And essentially history had a conniption because they're like women can't have power what do you mean and it's known as the 50 years of gynecocracy and it's historically been very documented very much read into research done into and very interesting to read through because it's basically men going oh no women got into power why are they in power and we should not be putting them there but i digress the political of Rina was very gendered at this time, as pointed out by the fact that they, they didn't literally didn't want women in power. I found another essay to kind of back up my point for this, and it was by somebody called Kiva O'Connor, or Quiva O'Connor, who wrote for the Trinity Women and Gender Minorities Review, Volume 5, Number 1, in 2021. And they wrote about how the political arena and everything in pol politics, including political thought, political theory, political sphere, and positions of leadership, inheritance, and influence, was masculine. Because at the time, there were actual legal barriers to keep women from power. Women were not allowed in politics and they couldn't be notaries, they couldn't be secretaries, they couldn't be part of the chancellery, they were never allowed in town councils making decisions, and they were rarely allowed to be consultants or even part of the voting assembly. They were legally kept away from getting positions of power, and even if they did get into positions of power, there were legal barriers that limited the scope or the amount of their power that they could hold. The political arena and society at large was, in addition to that, full of internalized misogyny, which, case in point, the people who immediately, as a reaction to uh, these women getting into queen positions or regents, they started attacking them, being like, well, why are women in power? Why is this relevant to the Rashimi? Because if you don't know, one of the first things about the Rashimi that we are going to discuss is that the Rashimi are a women-led society, just like the Drow, but slightly different. And so they wield political power. And that is why they are in a masculine space, because politics is masculine. They are holding a masculine space in D&D, &D, which is 
interesting. And we're going to look at how that works out. But yeah, political arena was throughout actual history exclusively reserved for men because, and I've heard this explanation before, because it's only natural, it's part of men's nature to be, you know, political and you know what that reminds me of? That's that kind of like thinking of like they are biologically built for D&D. They are biologically mm. built for politics. Women don't like tabletop role-playing games. Women don't like politics. They're biologically not built for it is what that reminded me of, which might be very angry. Well, yeah, it's 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 the whole nature versus nurture argument, yeah. which is a shitty argument because nurture always wins. <laughs> like, basically. Especially when it comes to the nuances of humanity. It's not even a little bit surprising. So, yeah, throughout history, any attempt at women to wield power or influence was basically a threat to men, masculinity, and what they saw as the social order, the right way of doing things. There were these essay, fascinating essays about how the women in power became experts in PR and how they created these, like, characters or what, what the essay called uh, gender styles. But for me, that was a bit confusing of a term. The gist of it was they, they became their own PR managers and they portrayed themselves in a way that kind of like became a perfect hybrid of the masculinity and femininity and was like a basically a, a whole PR concept of themselves just so they could stay in power and be accepted by men in power, which is ridiculous. The amount of like effort that women had to go through to stay in power, to be respected by men in a position of power. They still have to do that. They still have to do that. Yeah. It hasn't changed. (laughs) My interest would be to like see how are the Rashimi in these positions of power? Do they have to have these PR characters, gender styles in their positions of power? And given that politics is very masculine, how much would this history of women Mm. in power have influenced D&D and D&D lore? Uh, I mean... Of course it did. (laughs) Literally, I I don't want to spoil it because we'll get into um, part two in just a a hot minute. But I have literally no doubts that it did. Because like you said, because women were barred from politics for so long, I would argue even when there was a gynocracy or gynecocracy in terms of royalty, Mm -hmm. um, who were the queen's advisors? Mm -hmm. They're all men. Who were the, the people who owned all the land? They were all men. So it was like one woman at the top, sure. And it was this great like movement of having a woman in a position, especially in England, when after um, Henry VIII, this is me using my history minor, sorry. Wow. Um, <laughs> right after Henry VIII reformed the English church and they weren't Catholic anymore, they were Anglican, I think is the term. Having a woman, having Mary and then Elizabeth be head of the church and henceforth basically on the same level in royalty as God, Mm -hmm. that's a big fucking deal, symbolically. Mm -hmm. It totally is. But even so, they were still being advised by men. Like, they had their ladies-in-waiting, sure, and you could argue for days about, like, how much sway women had in politics, but the positions of power were still outweighed by men. And in my opinion, 
that's what exactly you see in Rashomon society. I won't get too much into it, but that's a little teaser for part two. But that's all I'll say about it because, yes. So the answer to your question, yes. 100%, yes. <laughs> yeah. Throughout history, basically, we start from, like, a guy called, like, Aristotle who, back in his day, he determined that, like, through his intelligent deep thinking, decided that man is inherently a political animal, therefore politics is a natural human tendency. He, you know, thought on this a little bit and the difference between men and women because politics between the genders is, of course, very different. And he decided that women had the virtues of a man, but they were different than men's virtues because women's virtues were in subordination to men, of course because women are subordinate to men, and that women exhibited virtues in response to authority and not to express authority. We're not meant to lead. We're just kind of meant to follow. And our manly virtues, our, our actual existence as men being political is in response to people leading us. That's how we work, according to Aristotle. Basically, saying because masculinity is always superior to femininity according to again nature because that's how we're just born to be convenient so terribly convenient isn't it i have so fucking i have so much beef with aristotle you have no idea it's not (laughs) the time or place for me to rant about aristotle but you just basically summarized why i fucking hate aristotle and why anytime anyone ever quotes anything from him I now say as a gut reaction, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not listening to anything you say from here on out because Aristotle's a piece of trash. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Oh, one of the greatest philosophical minds of our time. Yeah. What did he think about women? Yeah. uh Uh-huh. Okay, cool. I don't care then. I don't care about anything he has to say. He was a misogynistic asshole. We are not sorry about it. Sorry, not sorry. So yes, why it's important to talk about the Rashimi. They are women in power. The political arena is very masculine. They have somehow managed to take over and lead these men in their society because they're not all just women. They're not an only women's society, but they are women running the society in a way that's different from the drow. But we will get into that. And like my last point of kind of note that I found, which would have been another rabbit hole that I would have gone in and never come out of because do you want to know what are the big reasons why historically women or why during the 50 years of debate about gynecocracy why people thought that women are not able to lead because largely it has to do with the bible and Welcome to my TED Talk in After Dark because I have feelings and thoughts about that. Thanks, I hate it. (laughs) But my question going into part two and largely part three is, are the Rashimi an actual gynecocracy? Are they instead a matriarchy? How do they compare to the drow? Because the drow we've done, we know what the drow are. And I now need a point Mm -hmm. of comparison to that. As well as what is their kind of gender style or their kind of PR character if they need one. Because as politics is masculine, so women in power need a caricature of themselves to be able to actually be in the space of politics. So what is this 
PR character that they've come up with for themselves. This perfect combination of masculinity and femininity that the Rashimi political readers, leaders present in their gynecocracy. And if not, do they, do they not even need a kind of like a gender style or this caricature of themselves because they've somehow fixed what humans were unable to do? And <laughs> largely the big question being how masculine is their political sphere? Because... As we know, humans, it is very masculine. But we're talking about fantasy. So, of course, you would think that in a fantasy culture, you would fix the problems of the humans' <laughs> real world. But um, how far have we come in fantasy on fixing the problems of the real world in the Rashimi culture? Thank you. Oh These are the questions I will be asking myself and Chardet when we get into this episode. Now, without further ado, let's find out all about the Rashomon Society from Chardet in part too. I'm excited. Hello, harlots. Chardet here with an exciting announcement. We have partnered with Gave Tea to give you, our amazing listeners, exclusive savings when shopping for your next piece of gaming gear. Game Tea is an artist-owned business specializing in homemade gaming accessories, including clothes, dice, and more. Seriously, their stuff is so freaking cool. I have a flask from them, and it was my go-to DMing prop when we played in person. It says Dungeon Master's Homebrew on it. Iconic. If you want to expand your treasure trove of TTRPG goodies and support the podcast by helping us get a little commission, head on over to gametee.co.uk. That's G-A-M-E-T-E-E.co.uk. Use code SLOVENLYTROLLS, all one word, at checkout to receive 5% off your purchase and knock off a chunk of that pesky sales tax. Now let's get back to the show. Part two, Rashomon Society, a.k.a. the Juicy Meat Meat Juice. Part one, but this is part two. There's two parts of Juicy Meat Meat Juice, and this is the first Juicy Meat Meat Juice. I'm the Spice, Charday. Hi, hello, how are you? Um, <laughs> I would like to apologize in advance for this section because I feel like a lot of the answers that we're going to be looking for are not good answers. <laughs> and I'm really sorry about that because... This has been a topic that was suggested to us for a while, I would say, right? Like maybe for about a year, people have been kind of poking us to look into Rashman. So this has kind of been a long time coming. Let's just let's just jump into it. Let's just let's just get let's just go. Um, so in this specific section, there's so much information about Rashman, as you can imagine. It's basically an entire region. So in this section, I'm going to specifically be talking about some basic information on Rashomon. So the vibes for the people who may not know what Rashomon is and how it acts within the Forgotten Realms and Faerun. Mostly, though, I will be focusing on Rashomon society, specifically their power structure. So the witches of Rashomon and also their little puppets that they place throughout society. 
and the gender roles of Rashomon in general. Some basic information on Rashomon to get us going, to paint a little picture. So Rashomon is an area in the unapproachable east, which may sound familiar because it, that area is also home to Thay. Yeah, that Thay, like the Red Wizards of Thay, that Thay. And also Aglarond, which is the symbol's domain, city, city, right? Country? Country. I believe it was a country. Country. <laughs> Okay, so it's the it's the country of Thay and the country of Aglarond. And Aglarond is ruled over by the symbol. And she founded it, right? She inherited it. Inherited it, okay. <laughs> Rashomon is in this area. It's pretty notorious for being constantly in conflict, like wars, battles, people constantly trying to infiltrate Rashomon. Specifically Thay. Thay just really, really wants what Rashomon has. And Rashomon just keeps slapping them away like a small little toddler who will not leave them alone. <laughs> we do not condone slapping toddlers on this podcast. It was a <laughs> metaphor. For Rashomon, the vibes, like the geography of Rashomon, it is a very remote area. It is the most remote in the unapproachable East. It is said to be basically inaccessible or mostly inaccessible. It is super fucking cold. People are said to freeze to death in the middle of summer. And it is also rugged. It is a almost like tundra that seems pretty wild to outsiders with very few cultivated areas and cities. It is jam-packed full of nature spirits, which the people of Rashomon view as minor deities, kind of. And also, fun fact, it has a, a lot of hags. It was never explained as to why that is, but I thought that was like a nice little fun fact because we love hags here. Mm -hmm, we do. And I also found out what a hag spawn is. So I might be talking about that on After Dark. Patreon plug, 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 <laughs> because that was a whole other can of worms that we don't have time to talk about. But that's like the general kind of vibe of Rashomon. And it's also home to so many humans, like 99.8% humans. And this race of humans is called the Rashimi. And the Rashimi are basically people that come from the surrounding areas of Rashomon. So the Rashimi are in Rashomon, but they can also be in Thay, which is a bit confusing. So if you hear us refer to Rashomon and Rashimi and you're like, wait, I thought Rashimi were in Thay. They're also in Thay. It's very confusing, but Rashimi is like the race of humans. And before you ask, yes, there's a lot of racism that comes along with that, but we do not have time to talk about it. I will acknowledge it. There's some racism among the Rashimi, and especially in an area that's 99.8% human. Y yes, there's a lot of racism. We, we just we just can't talk about it. I'm sorry to say. So that's Rashomon in a nutshell. Now we're going to get into the juiciest meat, meat juice and talk about Rashomon society and start asking ourselves all of those context questions. So we're going to start with specifically the Rashomon power structure, which is what I spent the majority of my time researching, which I can boil down to men at the forefront and women pulling the puppet strings. So we're going to talk about the power structure kind of starting at the top of the pyramid scheme and then working our way to the bottom, if that makes sense. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call Rashomon a pyramid scheme, but it kind of has the vibe of it. A little bit. Triggered. Triggered. <laughs> Sorry. 
It's not as bad as the nature god patriarchy. Okay. Well, as long as it's not the nature god patriarchy, maybe we can let this one slide. But I'm watching you. Watching you, <laughs> Rashomon Society. But uh, we'll start with the, the top of the pyramid, the witches of Rashomon and the Wyklaren. Really the reason that we're all here. The reason that a lot of people wanted us to look into Rashomon. So the witches, also known as the Wyklaren, which I believe means wise old woman. I don't remember if it's in the, that's in Rashimi or another language, but Wyklaren means wise old woman. The witches predate Rashomon itself. So they helped found the area of Rashomon. And all they wanted in exchange for their help was the ability to choose the leadership of Rashomon, which the settlers agreed to. And ever since then, the witches have kind of ruled over Rashomon. They have been respected almost to the point of worship, according to multiple editions. They occupy an almost like godlike role, I guess you can say, in society without actually being gods. Okay. And according to 3.5, this is how they are described in society. So <clears throat> stories abound of the awesome arcane strength of the red, red wizards, the terrible majesty of the symbol, and the fierce pride and sensual allure ah! of the witches of Rashomon. Sensual allure, you said? Uh-huh. Are... Uh, huh? <laughs> I'm really glad you had the same reaction as I did because <laughs> uh, that's the only time literally that they're ever referred to as sensual and it's never expanded upon as to why 3.5 specifically the unapproachable east source book why they have sensual allure they never say why they just say it right there then so that's why I picked that passage because I was also very confused. <laughs> why do we think they said sensual? Give give us a conspiracy theory, Lisa. Why do you think they said sensual? Because they're women and they're spiritual <laughs> women. I don't I don't fucking know. Like that sounds like a stereotype to me. I think you're right. Like I don't think it goes much deeper than that. <laughs> I think they just called them that because they're women and they don't know how to describe women other than sensual. Look at where cats. I rest my case. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, the witches are also seen as spiritual guides of Rashomon. It's unclear whether the spiritual guides title is because they have ties to like being godlike figures in Rashomon or if they have ties to the actual spirits of the land, which they do. I'll get into that when I talk about like their powers, but they are seen specifically as spiritual guides. Their word in Rashomon is law. If you disobey the witches, you die. <laughs> With very few exceptions, they are merciless and don't discuss or revoke their decisions once made. So they're badass bitches, mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. What they say goes. And they are not evil by any means, which I'll also get into. They are just like, hey, we say this thing. You do this thing. You obey us. And if you're a dick about it, you die or you're banished, basically. Mm -hmm. Respect. That's a way to rule. Respect. The witches actually all wear masks, like Venetian full-style masks, which I thought was a vibe. But now that you talked about them putting on a persona and a character, now that's all I can think about. So thank you for that. You're welcome. You're so welcome. I didn't even realize that. But now that you've said that, yeah, 
That's interesting. That's interesting. I don't know what I think about that yet, but that's interesting. Yeah, we'll put we'll put a pin on that for later. But that was one of the like benefit of the doubts I had for society. I'm like, oh, I really like the vibe of their masks. But now that you're like, oh, caricatures, women need caricatures to stay in power. I'm like, oh, well, they kind of are because they all look the same because they all wear these like this uniform mask and the masks look different, but all Rashimi witches wear masks. Mm -hmm. Something to ponder. And any girl, it should be said, so any girl in Rashomon can become a witch. It's not an inherited title. It's not anything like that. It's if you are a magically skilled girl, which they test um, the children in Rashomon, if you're a magically skilled girl, you're basically taken to magic girl school, regardless of your feelings. Like as soon as they see you have magical talent, they're like, yeet. And they yeet you to magic girl school. The parents have literally no choice in this because it is seen as an honor and they don't really care because of that as well. And if you're wondering, well, what about the boys? We'll get to it. Don't worry. <laughs> There's a place for them too. And, um, you're probably not going to like it because I didn't. <laughs> yikes. Yeah, big yikes. As for the hierarchy and the different types of witches, because they have their own power within the power, right? Because of course they do. Most political structures kind of have to. So there are four categories of witches. There are the Ethrin, which are the novices, the Blethrin, which are the witches in training, the Hathrin, which are the witches with great power, but not complete mastery and also the last but not least oath lore the elders who do have complete control and mastery over their magic i would just like to point out that there were not only four rings forged uh for i'm trying to make a lord of the rings reference but um failing so miserably there were not only four rings forged there was another ring was made because <laughs> that's the prestige class i'll be talking about there's not just four right Mm -hmm. There's a secret fifth one. There's a secret <laughs> fifth of, one of. that does not control all the others, unfortunately. But um, there is a fifth one. Mm -hmm. It's like the the step sibling, <laughs> you, I guess you could say. Yeah. <laughs> she gets her own section. She does. Last but not least, the powers of the witches of Rashomon. So in case you couldn't tell by their title, um, they are magical as fuck. <laughs> And they have great magical abilities. But how much magic obviously depends on their rank within the hierarchy. And how much magic they have is dependent not only on that, but also if they are in Rashomon itself. But I'll get more into that in the prestige class in part three, because I think it's much easier to explain mechanically. But you just need to know if they're in Rashomon, don't fuck with them. Just don't don't. And also in terms, if you're curious about how their magic works, they're described more as sorcerers than wizards. But I think this is mostly due to the Red Wizards of Thay being so close. I don't necessarily think this is, oh, like sorcery is more feminine and wizardry is more masculine. Like you could argue that, I think. And I think there is an argument to be made about that. But I think mostly they are described more as sorcerers because the Red Wizards of Fae are right next door and people might get confused with the terminology. Mm -hmm. The witches are also said to communicate with the Rashomon spirits, which also gives them a great amount of power because, as I mentioned before, the spirits are venerated basically as minor deities. And the witches can placate the spirits when they are angry and also summon them for great power in battle. They also have in case you haven't caught on yet, ultimate political power. 
So not only super magical power, but also ultimate political power. They pull the strings. However, this power isn't necessarily like guaranteed. They can lose their power if they misuse it. So a witch of Rashomon is not allowed to be power hungry or self-indulgent. She can't endanger Rashomon society. And she has to overall be a good slash neutral being in order to maintain her own rank or else she is either killed or banished. Just because you're a rich of, witch of Rashomon doesn't mean you can get away with stuff. You also have like a code of conduct you have to follow. But yeah, that's basically the witches of Rashomon. They're like the puppet masters are at the, the top of Rashomon society. They are everywhere. They choose the leaders of everything. And they are both feared and venerated throughout Rashomon society. And I, I overall kind of like their vibe. I don't know what you think, but I, I kind of overall like their vibe, you know? I, I can definitely see that they are a magicratic society. And I think they are a gynecocracy based on what you've said so far. But I mm-hmm. don't know because you haven't finished your section. I feel like there's some things... <laughs> That is going to spoil my mood. Yeah, that's why I started out with them. (laughs) I wanted to start off on a good foot, and also it just made sense for the flow of the section. Mm -hmm. You may may or may not be onto something in that one. Yeah. Um, Curious, though, how do you think it's going to be ruined before I ruin it for you? (laughs) Well, you haven't talked about the men in society yet. So, as with all societies, it's the men who fuck things up. joking half joking but also (laughs) i'm looking at you i know what you did (laughs) we know what you did so you're right on the money as usual because right underneath the the pyramid scheme and basically to the to the all the way to the bottom of you know who rules rashman society and the politics of rashman society everybody beneath in terms of like who holds political office of the witches of Rashomon, they're all men, um, every single one of them. And it is infuriating to me. Directly underneath the witches of Rashomon is someone called the Iron Lord or the Harang. And they are the outward face of Rashomon. So remember when I said briefly at the beginning that in order to form Rashomon, this group of witches before they were known as the witches of Rashomon, they made a deal basically with early Rashimi societies, the pilgrims. Mm-hmm. If they help them form Rashomon, they can choose the leader. And it starts with the Iron Lord. So they always choose the Iron Lord, the witches do. Mm-hmm. Not only chosen by, but it can also be removed by. I didn't find any instances of an Iron Lord ever being removed in my research, but they do have the power to do that. And in every edition, It is always said, and it is never rebuked, that the Iron Lord is always a man. Why? I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) Somebody tell me why. Because I'm confused as to why it always has to be a man. Like, why can't the Iron Lord or Iron Ruler or whatever be a woman? They literally never give a reason why. They just say it always is. And it annoys me for obvious reasons. So the Iron Lord has two main duties that I could find. So he is the supreme military leader, which they they do need a supreme military leader because, as I said, they are always in conflict, specifically with they. And the Iron Lord also sees that travel between the cities is safe. 
So he looks after the roads and transportation and all of that. But I found this really cheeky little quote <laughs> about his two duties that I, I wanted to put up for discussion really briefly, um, especially given our last episode about the Seven Sisters. I just, I just, I just needed, I just need you all to know this. So in second edition, in a book called Spellbound, after they talk about the two main duties of the Iron Lord, they say, <clears throat> as if all of this was not enough, an Iron Lord is also expected to personify all the greatest Rashomar virtues. That is to say, he has to be able to outfight, outdrink, outwench, outrun, outski, outswim, and just about every other out there is, all of his war leaders. I have I have thoughts. I have Please I counted share them. three thoughts. The first one. What when you first said that, I don't know, maybe this is just my personal point of view as a woman. The amount of vindication I felt that finally a man has to justify his existence by being all of the above <laughs> things. Fair. When yeah. I feel like that's such a, a mood that me as a woman constantly feels in society where I have to be beautiful. I have to be gorgeous. I have to be friendly, but not too friendly. I have to be this. I have to be that. I have to be that. And then there's a whole list. And I just, the amount of vindication I feel that one man somewhere in a fantasy world feels that he has so much pressure to be all of the above things. Beautiful. I, I love it. I, I love it so much. This second thing being, it's interesting that they use the phrase personify all the greatest Rashomar virtues because of my context and mm -hmm. how man versus women, men were the show of virtues. Men lead by the virtues, whereas women follow by virtues what are the witches doing mm. are they leading i don't know because there's <laughs> a man who is leading military and you you called it uh the outward face of rashomon i'm conflicted because i i feel like that's trudging a little bit close to the exact words i was saying in the context it's not outright saying that you know, the women are taking authority by following or in response to authority. But that's just very that's toying the line between women having their virtues through following someone like a supreme leader called the Iron Lord. Yeah. And I'm triggered. If you can't tell. <laughs> this whole thing is kind of triggering, honestly. Going off of that, the, the main red flag that I had is the treatment of this fucking man compared to somebody like Leirol Silverhand who has so many more fucking things to do, but it's never worded in a way like, oh, as if all of this was not enough. Oh, she has so many things to worry about. No, no, she was just expected to do all of that. It was never like, woe is me. We kind of, in our analysis of Leirol, were like, no, she has so much to do. She's gonna have a mental breakdown. She has so many things to do. This one, rightfully so, is calling out all of the responsibilities that this leader has. I'm not saying that this isn't a lot of pressure. It totally 100% is to be this figurehead, to personify all these values. It 
definitely is. That's a lot of pressure. But I think it's so telling that they worded it like that mm-hmm. specifically for this Iron Lord who is a man. And they never worded that for somebody who was a leader of Layral. It. They never did. It's the hypocrisy. It's women are expected to be all of the above, do all of the above. Nobody quite bats an eye if she is a full-time mother, if she has a full-time job. She's also taking care of the house. She's doing the chores. She is doing the Laurel silver hand thing. She's doing everything. She is everywhere all at once. But if you put a man in that position, he's doing all of these things, he's expected to do all of these things, and as if all of this was not enough, like, the expectation is that he wouldn't need to do all of the things. And it's so telling Mm -hmm. that, like, whoever wrote this book has the expectations of, well, yeah, women are expected to be able to be pretty and have a child and take care of the household and have a full-time job and... All of these above things. But you give the same treatment to a man and it's like, oh, but he he has too many things to do and like feel pity for the man who has to have all of these weights on him and be expected to out-drink, out-wench, out-run, out-ski and out-swim people. Mm-hmm. We can, I just looked up the name of the person who wrote Spellbound, Anthony Pryor. Anthony Pryor, rude. But at least it wasn't Ed Greenwood, so it's not like super hypocritical because I think Ed Greenwood wrote about mostly labral mm-hmm. so it's not the same person you know not giving it treatment but it is the same company and it is the same game yeah and it is 100 percent hypocritical yeah so that's the iron lord and then directly beneath the iron lord is basically like a i would say like a mayor or something or a jarl equivalent in society they're called fira which means lord or war leader and according to second edition these are the most dominant med folk leading local communities and in 3.5 they are only referred to with he, him pronouns. There is no female equivalent I could see. Women are not leading the towns. It's only men. And like the Iron Lord, they do defer to witches as advisors. And the witches, I think in most cases, either appoint them or they allow them to be there. And at the snap of their fingers, they can just not be there. But I'm just so confused why it has to be men. I'm just so, and it never explains it. And it drives me absolutely nuts and I don't understand I'm a bit also confused because literally in the previous episode where I was discussing the symbol I believe her origin story states that Mistra was the one who gave the Rashomon their powers of magic what? so that they could secure their rule over their own male war leaders and I'm pretty sure I said that phrase on our episode so I'm very confused because there's no mention of Mistra. So I don't know if that's just an Ed Greenwood thing. He put that into the lore and then it just wasn't picked up by anyone else. Because this was for the symbol and the symbol came from the the the, the, the book with all the seven sisters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The fact that Mistra was the one to give the Rashimi their powers... And it was in order to secure their rule over their own male war leaders, specifically the Fira and I guess the Iron Lord as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm just very confused at this point. Yeah, that. Speaking of that, I don't keep that like put a pin in that because mm-hmm. now I right beneath that is like the last power structure in. Rashomon society, and I think what you're saying also applies to this very last one, which is again a male group. Remember how I talked about, you know, 
boy magic users that were tested mm-hmm. and how they ha- do have a place in society. They do. It is called the Vramani or the old ones. So if you are a boy and you have magical aptitude, you can become a Vramani. And that means you can research the arcane, you can research new spells, you can make magic items, you can teach young witches, and sometimes advise witches, which as a sidebar, all the advisors again to the witches are men (laughs) from what I found, including a sentient tree. Sentient tree, right? Yeah, uh, a treant specifically. Yeah. Uh-huh. I find it really telling that the men are the advisors to the witches when mm-hmm. literally in the context section as well, it was that women are not allowed to be consultants or if they are, Ooh. they are very rarely allowed to be consultants of anyone in power. So the fact that they are... Mm-hmm literally allowing or just stating that the men are consultants or advisors to those in power they're not saying that there are some women maybe that's like maybe that's not needed to be said maybe that's in the Mm -hmm. in the context or you're supposed to read that like obviously the women help each other they don't specifically say that but they mention that men are specifically advisors and just because i i mentioned that in the context i'm just again it's suspicious and it's toying the line. I do want to say that there are some maybe mentions that I found. I didn't find them important enough to like put in the outline, but there are mentions that like the the witches obviously like they share power amongst each other and there isn't any there isn't supposed to be any real rivalry and they do advise each other. I think it's implied, but it's never as heavily like implied as like, oh, don't worry. The It's like that justification of, oh, men have a quote unquote lesser place in society, but they have to justify like, oh, don't worry. Men still have a little bit of rights. It gives that kind of vibe more mm-hmm. like they felt the need to overcorrect themselves rather than state like, oh, no, but the women like. They still have ultimate rule. Like they could still say no. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just, it's very wishy-washy. But back to the Romani. So they can, yeah, they can advise witches, teach young witches, research the arcane and spells and make items. That's it. They don't have any real power except to defend Rashomon if it's attacked. And that is, again, baffling to me. So only women are allowed, only women spellcasters are allowed to hold this higher place in society. Men have to be this like advisor, wise old man type. And it's not because they have less magical aptitude. It is never said that men have less magical aptitude than women. It's a societal shortcoming. They are tested the same way as girls, but they in society just have this one place to go. And it's even said in Rashman society that male clerics or druids don't even have a role in society because everyone expects wishes to fill those roles. And if you're a male arcane spellcaster, because clerics and druids are the holy spellcaster. So if you're an arcane spellcaster, you don't have a choice. You have to become Vramani. You have to leave Rashman and quote, anything else is death. Can you clarify because you it sounds like you're saying romani like the actual people that exist romani remy it's spelled v-r-e-m-y-o-n-n-i romani and not like the actual people of romania romani no it is not no it's romani yeah i might be pronouncing it wrong but i couldn't find an, an accurate pronunciation yes so on top of like your point with Mistra, which 
we don't have time to get into the religion, but Mistra is one of the gods worshipped in Rashomon, but it's never gone into specifically like the quote you said about Mistra giving Rashomon powers. Mistra exists in Rashomon, and she has a name, I think, called the Hidden One is what she's actually known by, but... She's never mentioned in Vermani. She's never really mentioned in conjunction with the witches. It's never mentioned in any of the books that I found mm-hmm. that Mr. Gave Rashman their powers. It's always just the witches, the witches, the witches. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's, it's almost like Ed Greenwood wrote it in his original lore, but then it wasn't picked up by... Well, I don't know if he... Yeah. I don't know if he was the first one to come up with the Rashimi. Do... Do you remember what book that quote is from? Because I did look up, um, so the Seven Sisters source book, where we got most of our information on that episode, was published the same year as Spellbound, which was one of the first in-depth looks in Rashomon in second edition. So they were both published in 1995, but I don't know specifically like which one came first. And even if they did, if they had such close publication dates, maybe the maybe the two authors of the books just weren't connecting and that's why it's a little bit inconsistent. They, I can, I can easily tell you that there weren't a whole lot of source books that I consulted for the ones that I did because they didn't appear in that many. It was mostly the Seven Sisters source book. I can double check that, but it was either that or maybe one other. Okay. It, it was very slim pickings is where I'm trying to go with this. Yeah. Well, while you rack your brain for that, I will move on to the very last part of this section to wrap up. So you may have noticed that the power structure in Rashomon just has so many men in it and really only one powerful role for women. And unfortunately, that kind of seeps into the gender roles within Rashomon society. I hate that this section isn't about just how badass the Rashomon witches are. Can I just go on record and saying that? Mm-hmm. I hate that I'm talking mostly about men in society because women in society just really aren't given that much detail except for the witches, which I, again, like the concept of the witches. But in Rashomon society, it's way more detailed about what the men the men in the society, the men hold way more like they have while lesser part in a magical sense, they still hold like a more varying type of position. So I picked out two points about gender roles. There are many that I could go into, but for the sake of time, I picked out two. And I think it's these two points and just the smaller details in Rashman society that make me question whether or not Rashomon is a gynocracy. It's definitely not a matriarchy, 100%. It's not a matriarchy in any sense of the word. But in terms of like a gynocracy or a gynococracy, it just makes me question it. And the first point is that Rashomon is a warrior culture. Rashomon is very famous for its berserkers, which is a barbarian like fighter type style of warfare. And according to second edition, men and women can be berserkers, which is great. We love that. Yes, please. It didn't stay that way. Um, In 3.5, women aren't allowed to be berserkers anymore. And I don't know why they changed that. And it made me mad. This warrior culture, which by 3.5 favored berserkers as berserkers hold like a higher point in society. Again, a more male dominated vocation. And just Rashman in general highly values their warrior culture because of their berserkers and because of their constant 
invasion attempts, like they trying to invade men, invade them, other areas trying to invade them. So the Rashimi as a culture fight as often as possible, participate in harsh physical activities, and all of their male leaders are accomplished warriors, which in a way kind of reminds me of orc culture, but not as violent. It's just more so like this stereotypical warrior culture and not so much fight each other until we kill each other. It's more just like no fight out of necessity and that's Mm -hmm. what it was born out of. Mm -hmm. But as for the women's role in the warrior culture, I picked out this specific quote, which we don't really have time to dissect, but I just, I'll just put it out there. From second edition, women who managed equal or even surpass the accomplishments of their fellow male warriors earn substantial respect from the men and are treated exactly the same as males. All women, in fact, are trained to fight and use weapons and can save ser- can serve in Rashman's defense if necessary. On the surface, might seem fine. But in my opinion, if this was a truly matriarchal or even an egalitarian society, women would be expected to excel. It wouldn't be worded like, the wording just makes it sound like society doesn't think women are as strong as men, even though women supposedly hold all the power in Rashomon. They hold all the magical power, but not the warrior power. This is so conflicting because it's it sounds just like somebody from the patriarchy trying to imagine a fantasy fantasy situation where women are in power, but forgetting that the expectation is for women to be in power and then treating mm. men as like the be all end all of being a warrior and then comparing women who reach the level of men. Mm-hmm. It's just it's it's like they forgot that like they're supposed to be pretending to admire women and women being the be all end all of <laughs> the great thing in society. And then they're like, oh, yeah, it's the natural thing of like men are just better than women. So we're going to compare women and their equal and their yeah. qualities to those of men when it's literally supposed to be a gynarchy or like women being in control or does this just show us the truth of the lore in which it's women think they're in control and they maybe kind of are in control, but literally they're just raising men up to be in control for them. So are they actually in control or are men just in control and women are just doing all the work to put them there. And not even just women, magical women. Yeah. That's it. Witches. If you don't have magic and you're a woman, you literally don't have any. Yeah. It might on the surface look like, oh, women can be as good as warriors, but it's not expected. Wait, so. just a surprise. So both magical men are given jobs and given a position in the hierarchy and men who don't have magic become berserkers but women who don't have magic get nothing is what I'm hearing they don't get a specific role in society so it's not like they have it's not like they are there's prejudice against them there's just not anything special but there's no for them there's no do. boons for them as yeah. much as there is for men is where I can see this going because you have magic, you're a man, good. Like you get, you get, you have a role to play. You have no magic and you're a man, but you can fight, good. We have a role for you. And what's the equivalent for women? Because I, I mean, if they can fight, then they are still compared to men. What a great question. I have one last point. 
and then we can kind of wrap up this section and then get into our further analysis. But I'm so glad that you're so fired up because I've been holding this in for weeks. Again, all I wanted to do was I wanted the Rashomon witches to be my gush section. And it's just not that. So my last point is something called the Degemma. So going after your last point, the Degemma in Rashomon society is something of a journey of self-discovery and a coming of age, right? That is required of men, but optional for women. (laughs) Optional, but required for men. And in 2E, the Degemma is described as usually little more than excuses for drinking, wenching, and sightseeing. However, it's also vital to building trade contracts and gathering information on the news of the inner sea region. So men are required to build trade contracts and gather information on the news. Women, it is optional. So it's not like they're barred from doing it, but they're not forced to do it, whereas men kind of are. And I'm not quite sure what they were trying to do with this. Like there are a couple of implications with this coming of age, right? Women are either always seen as adults and they don't need a coming of age thing, which we've talked about before on this podcast. Very problematic how women are always expected to mature more rapidly than men because of society. Second implication is women are seen as being above drinking, wenching, and sightseeing. Mm -hmm. And the third implication is women don't need to prove themselves in society because they are already above the men. And I think maybe they were trying to go for this. Mm -hmm. But it's still exclusionary because of how vital the pilgrimage is seen from a political standpoint. The men are required to be political, but again, for women, it's optional. It's just like this, it's this gender binary divide in Rashomon society in second edition. And I just, I just don't understand. And for Hathrins, I will say, so for one of the sects of the the Rashomon witches, there is kind of an equivalent of like sometimes Hathorins go and like go on an adventure and they do this with the blessing of their elders. But one, it doesn't have a name. And two, it's only for witches. It's not for all women. So it's <laughs> like, I. what about the women who don't have magic? I love magic. I love magical women. We stand. What about the little Goyle who doesn't have that? Mm-hmm. So to kind of wrap up. A little bit because I've we've both kind of been ranting <laughs> about the shortcomings of Rashman society. I did want to say some things I did like. So I think the witches of Rashman and Rashman in general is a really cool concept. I really like the warrior culture ruled by women that doesn't give super man-hating vibes, while there are some nuances and like exceptions to that. Overall, it's a huge improvement over other, you know, female-led D&D societies. I also love the concept of the witches and their puppet mastery, but um, now I'm not sure if I like the masks <laughs> anymore because of your context. And there was also this really fun, cool thing in Rashomon, like one of their main exports is this thing called Firewine or Jihweed. Jihweed. I am totally butchering that. I'm just going to call it Firewine. And it's like this drink that mechanically, if you drink it, you have to make a con save. And if you succeed, you get a huge strength bonus. But if you fail, you basically fall into a coma because of how strong it is. There are like these little details and really cool things in Rashomon society that I really, 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 really like. But 
in terms of how their politics is set up and how their society runs and the gender roles of everything, it was just kind of really disappointing. And I don't know if we have time to like really go into like how it compares to a gynocratic society or if it's a good representation or bad and specifically how it compares to the drow matriarchy, but because we still have the prestige classes to talk about. We still have to talk about, we're talking about Hathrin and we're talking about Durthan. Mm-hmm. So we might save it to the end of that section or we could also save our thoughts for our concluding thoughts because we are out of time for this section. Yeah. But obviously there's a, still a lot to unpack here. And we still have one more section to go. Yeah. So we'll put a pin in those thoughts and then take a second to cool down. <laughs> I need a second to cool down. <laughs> and then we'll go to part three, the prestige classes of Rashomon. Welcome to part three, the last bit of our Juicy Meat Meat Juice, where we're going to be talking about the prestige classes that go along with Rashomon, aka like the mechanical advantages and disadvantages, etc., going into the nitty-gritty. And also, you know, going a little bit deeper into the witches specifically, because these are two witch-based classes, one of which is the Hathren, which I will be talking about, and the super secret fifth version of the, the Witch of Rashomon. I guess you could call it the Durthan. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are kind of a witch. They are kind of not a witch, but they are. No one knows, but we'll find out possibly today in this last section. Hopefully, <laughs> if we do our jobs right, you'll know what they are. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I will start us off since we already know a little bit of background on the Hathrin. And really, I honestly don't have a lot to say about this prestige class. I'm just going to be going over some of the basic info some of the requirements and some of the abilities. But overall, my impression of this isn't as strong of an opinion as I had on the other ones. So it's actually just kind of a nice reprieve to talk about something in a positive light. (laughs) Uh, And this prestige class is from 3.5, Forgotten Realms campaign setting. So to remind you that this is the second highest rank of the Wyclaren. So not quite a novice, not quite a witch in training. They have a bunch of training. They're pretty powerful, but they're not quite elder level of powerful. And the Hathren actually means learned sisterhood in, again, I'm not sure. I don't remember if it's Rashimi or another adjacent human language. What you really need to know about the Hathren and the mechanics and how to play one as a prestige class is really two things for like basic info vibes. The first is that they don't have any rivalries. So there isn't a lot of infighting between Hathrens. Rivalry between them is considered, quote, insane. And they are always encouraged and willing to share spells amongst each other, which I thought was kind of nice. Like, it's really leaning into that like sisterhood vibes, like no gate keep girl bossing here. It's just girl bossing. You know, I thought that was kind of nice. The only thing that was just like a little bit confusing about the Hathren and really just, I guess, the Witches of Rashomon in general is that the Hathren prestige class is said to, quote, occupy the place reserved for powerful clerics in most 
Faerunian cultures. And I touched upon this a little bit in part two, but I'm still not quite 100% sure why the Witches of Rashomon, and I guess in this instance in the prestige class, the Hathren, why they are like a clerical vibe type of role in society like why they because there are deities there are the three deities that I didn't have time to go into which are I believe Shantia, Miliki, and Mistra. and so they have deities but they also have the witches that are on par with the deities and the Hathren are almost seen as powerful clerics and the Hathren prestige class are mechanically usually cleric slash wizards but some of the sisters have developed their powers as bards, druids, rangers, or sorcerers. And they are said to heal the sick and wounded, care for the souls of their followers, recruit champions from other planes, raise the dead, have the power of life and death over all citizens of Rashomon. But again, why clerics? What connection do they have to the gods? There isn't anything in the source books that really blatantly tells you except for oh they just hold the same place in society as clerics so I don't know listen is your conspiracy brain coming up with anything because I'm frankly lost (laughs) I don't know why this is yeah I'm, I'm a bit confused about like the cleric in the sense that it would be a mono what's the word for one godded monotheistic monotheistic society but I for when I first learned about them, I kind of understood that they, in the way that druids get their power from nature and the Rashmen get their power from the spirits of everything, I kind of understood or misunderstood, if it's wrong, that they kind of got their powers from the spirits and they believed in the spirits themselves and in the way, kind of like a, in a druid way, but more like... I, I guess what the modern comparison would be like Wicca or, or or something. So believing in powers outside of society that exist in the form of like spirits, but not in a monotheistic god per se. Mm-hmm. That'd be the only explanation I could maybe give them because they don't seem like they worship gods. Based on no. your description, there was nothing about religion being at the forefront of their beliefs. There was nothing about how they spend their Sundays preaching in their mm-hmm. churches to anything. They didn't put up shrines or anything, at least that you told us about. So, right. yeah, it's the only thing that I can maybe think of to give it kind of an explanation is that they are healers and women, and therefore clerics are healers and very feminine in a way, can be considered feminine in a way. Because, I mean, they're witches, but they're good witches, therefore are all good witches just clerics? Is that the logic that we're trying to follow here i i literally have no idea because i from what i understand it was never specified how the witches of rashomon got their power but it was implied that it was arcane which means that they're either wizards or sorcerers or bards either their power comes from within them or they learn their power they don't get their power from gods that Mm -hmm. was never specified i think it was implied more to be arcane Mm -hmm. and 
while religion does have a place in Rashomon society, like the three are the the big religions in Rashomon, it's not so much ingrained into their lives as like the spirits are. And even so, the witches are also held at this high, like almost godlike platform in Rashomon. So I'm very confused as to like, are they a cleric of themselves? Are they a cleric of the three? I I don't I don't a hundred <laughs> I don't a hundred percent know because the witches of Rashomon it was never ever specified like oh they absolutely a hundred percent are part of this clergy of these three goddesses like mm-hmm. it was never ever specified mm-hmm. it was just their role in society is godlike I'm sure there is something there it's just so murky that it's confusing I guess is like my biggest gripe with how the Hathren work mechanically and how the witches work mechanically. Well, I mean, in terms of the discussion that we had in, a, in one of the previous parts where they get their powers, I did look up the source book that I read them having gotten it from Mistra. So that was the Heroes lore book, which was from, I believe, 1996 by two men whose names were Dale Donovan and Paul Kulala. I mean, I I don't know. If they got it from Mistra, then... It was never specified. It was never specified unless you look at specifically Hero's lore book. Yeah, and it, if it, if that's the only instance, it's never brought up again. Well, that's the only instance that I, I know of. I haven't looked through... Because it only came up because I was researching the symbol, and it came up in basically the symbol's description. And you did all of the other lore that's written about the Rashomon. That's the only reason why it didn't come up with in your research is because it was written specifically under the symbols section. Yeah, it's specifically like a seven sister lore. It's not really even a Rashomon lore yeah. type of vibe. It, this isn't the last you hear of it, them being clerical or being tied to some sort of clerical magic either, though. So mm. for the requirements of the Hathren, you have to be either lawful good, lawful neutral or neutral good. And your race, you have to be a human female of Rashman or Rashimi descent. So this is another gender-based prestige class, which I'm assuming both of these are. Yep. You have to be able to cast second-level arcane spells and second-level divine spells. And your patron has to be Shantia Miliki or Mistra. So you do have to, like, have some sort of veneration for the gods, but again, in this mechanics, this is the like only instance of any of the R- Rashomon witches worshiping any of these gods. That's that's it. That, just this in the mechanics. It does not go more in depth into it, which is I I think there's potential there. And I think that's why I'm so confused. I'm like, I'd love for this to be fleshed out more, but it's just not. And that's strange to me mm-hmm. because they went so in depth with so many other parts of society, but not religion Mm -hmm. very strange they have two more requirements so there's a special requirement that says that they must be a member in good standing of the witches of rashomon and if you are not in good standing with the witches of rashomon you can lose access to the prestige class which i thought was kind of a fun consequence (laughs) (laughs) i thought it was cool the last requirement is a feat a very specific feat called Ethren or Ethren, which is, I think, the uh, lowest rank in the Witches of Rashomon. So there's a feat in 3.5 that in order to qualify even for that feat, which means 
if you need to meet these feet qualifications and this feat is a qualification for the prestige class, these feet requirements are also prestige class requirements, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. So in order to get the Ethrin feet, you need to be female. You need to have a charisma of 11 plus, but not a wisdom of 11 plus. It's just charisma, which again confusing because they're supposed to be clerical vibes. I'm confused. (laughs) Spellcaster first level plus, and they also need society approval, which I think also goes in line with being in good standing with the Witches of Rashima. And you also, for the feat, and again, also for the prestige class, you need specific DM approval to get that feat and also just to be in the prestige class. And you might be wondering why that is. I have a pretty good theory because their abilities... The Hathrin abilities, when they are in Rashomon, are bananas. Like, holy crap. They are so powerful. And I alluded to this in part two. So when I said, oh, the power of the Witches of Rashomon just really depends, and it super depends if they're in Rashomon, this is what I was talking about. This is mechanically how powerful they are in this specific prestige class that players can play. And it's with this feature called Place Magic. So while in Rashomon, a Hathrin can draw upon the lands to cast spells without preparing them, can cast any arcane or divine spell she knows on her list, and she may use divine spell slots to cast any spell on her spell list, even if she doesn't know the spell as an arcane spell. That's nuts. That is nuts. Yeah. Insane. What? Like, no wonder it needs DM approval. Holy crap. And the only drawbacks, because there are some drawbacks, is obviously you're not as powerful outside of Rashomon. So really the only reason you would want to even take this prestige class, I'm assuming if you really wanted to like min-max your character, really play it to its fullest potential, you would need to be in Rashomon. But you also, there are some things like you need to use one full round of an action or more to cast any of these really powerful spells. So instead of it happening instantaneously, it happens like at the end of the round. Mm. And they also have access to something called circle magic, which is a 3.5 thing, which is essentially a group of witches that use their power to make one specific witch more powerful. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then the last little tidbit of their abilities, this is just TLDR, like these are the highlights. The last one I wanted to point out, because I thought it was weird, is that Hathren have a weapon and armor proficiency of an exotic weapon, specifically a whip. (laughs) I don't know why it's a whip. I have my guesses, but I don't know why, because in the lore, if you're curious, there is nothing about witches of Rashomon and they're like infamous whips that they use. There is nothing about that. Absolutely nothing. So why are they proficient in whips? Because some TSR employee went, you know, it would be funny if uh, we gave these hot women whips because they're already wearing masks and um, gave them BDSM vibes or something along those lines. It's It's like the... Take the take the mistress out of context because she's wearing a mask already. She's already beautiful because she's sensual. <laughs> and then yep, yep. Uh, how how do we how do we up the ante over here? Ah, yes, she'll whip him into shape. 
We can't even blame fully TSR, though, because this is 3.5. So it could have been a former TSR employee, but could this be, was published yeah. under Wizards. <laughs> yeah. Or whoever, whoever, whoever in the history of D&D wrote it. But yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. It is in the same edition that they are called Sensual, though. So I think you're on to something with that. I think they got really horny for the Witches of Rashomon in 3.5. And I will die on that hill because they were <laughs> never, ever said to be sensual. They were not given whips. I, I, I feel like I've been doing this super often. Credit where credit is due. In second edition, my arch nemesis. At least they didn't make them horny. <laughs> 3.5 did. Very strange. Never would have seen that coming. For a podcast that calls itself very horny, we're very anti-horny for <laughs> some of the things that we read <laughs> well, into. Well, it's it's cool if it has an explanation. Yeah, but like un- unnecessarily horny. Yeah, horny just because they're women horny. Mm-hmm. Like, like if there was any, if we had a belief that there would be a gender equivalent to this, like of a man mm-hmm. prestige class mm-hmm. that would do this. I don't think we would give them nearly as much flack because, yes, we are a very horny podcast. We love being horny on Maine. We are very <laughs> sex positive. Use that shit in your games if you want to. It's a lot of fun. We do. So, I mean, <laughs> it's just when it's out of left field and it seems out of place and it, there's no equivalent for men. That's the iffy part. But overarchingly, that's really all I have on Hathryn. My overall impressions were just they weren't that bad of a class. And I read this in the midst of doing my other research because I tried to read the books in order. So this was, I read this while I was reading about all the other horny weird stuff that was going on <laughs> with the Witches of Rashomon. And I was expecting it to be a lot worse because points at part two. <laughs> but honestly, it wasn't that bad. So I don't really have that much else to say other than the few iffy details that I pointed out. And compared to the other female-only prestige classes we've looked at, this is pretty tame. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say I'm impressed because obviously I have a couple of gripes, but the bar was on the floor. And this surpassed the bar on the floor a little bit. So mm. well done. Yay. I'm yay. yay. Pleasantly surprised. But um, are you going to crush my hopes and dreams? <laughs> are you Are you going to do that as you talk about Durthan? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? Because I'll get into it with the part 2.2. No, part 3.2, I guess. This is part three. We are in part three. I know what's going on. Listen, I'm very aware (laughs) of what is happening at all times, of course. Time is not a soup and I am not hungry. That's not what's happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. Anyway, Durthans. Wow. Who were introduced as a prestige class in the Unapproachable East campaign guide in 3.5e. And they are the sisters of the Hathren. They are the equivalent exchange of the Hathren. But make it evil, make it sneaky sneak, and for some weird reason, make it Ice Queen. And I'll have a whole discussion about that choice, because that confused me. But yes, are they a cult? Are they not a cult? I am a cult fanatic, so (laughs) they are a cult, if you ask me. If you ask the source book, no mention was made (laughs) of them being a cult. They were a dark order, yes, but not a cult. Mm. So they say, but I digress. Suspicious. To be fair, dark order does sound a little bit cooler than a cult. Yeah. Well. Just a little bit. mm, Depends on who you ask. (laughs) If you ask me, but not if you ask you. Yeah. So their lore is 
Literally, they called them generally evil group of women. And this is word by word explanation. They are some assassins, spies type beings who wear masks like the Hathrens, just simply because they are actually greatly outnumbered by the Hathrens. So they like to live in secret in the Hathren sort of environment and pretend to be Hathren and get away with the fact that they are actually not Hathren because they are the evil sinister sisters of the Hathren. They have very similar powers to the Hathren, so most of what Sharday was talking about, they have the same equivalent exchange to. They also live on the Rashimi land. They are more powerful there. They get the boons of magic as the Hathren do as well. Only difference being that they tap into the powers of darker spirits instead of mm. just, you know, friendly spirits. And they bind these spirits to their will, supposedly non-consensually. Oh. Oh no. They are the evil version of the Hathrens. They live somewhere that's called the Erech Forest. So E-R-E-C-H, Erech, Erech. <laughs> I almost, I thought you were going to say erect. <laughs> It almost sounds like a wrecked forest. They live in the wrecked forest <laughs> in a secret sanctuary. So a secret tower erect in the erect forest a that they built called the Citadel Trelkarn. So the forest in itself is just basically full of dark spirits and wicked fae to begin with. So very vibes on point. So their motivation very much is to protect the Rashomon land. But their way of doing it and going about it is very different to the Hathrun and the other Rashomon. Or ra rather, I should say, Wichlaren, I guess? W Wichlaren? Wyclaren? Wyclaren. Yes, we know how these words sound and work. Listen, I'm just going off the pronunciation from Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> I, haven't, I, I haven't played it, so la-di-da. <laughs> la-di-da. La-di-da. So, yeah. Different methods of protecting their people, their land, but they are the Hathren, but they're ruthless and selfish. They are ruthless because they know that their enemies would be ruthless to them, therefore they are ruthless to their enemies. So these include the Thay, the Narfel, and their sisters, the Hathren, because they are out to get them. They seek to overtake the Rashomon and to rule it with an iron grip. So they're actually trying to kind of like overtake to coup the Rashomon because they think that the Hathren are running it in a bad way and they would seek to change that. They dream of attacking their enemies that they and are fell. They dream of stealing magic. They dream of eliminating their foes. They they're also giving me a bit of like capitalism vibes, which was very interesting. Because they would they would tax something called the Golden Way. And I didn't really know what that was, but Chardier, you have an idea of yeah, the Golden it's Way. Just, it's, just like a, it's just like a road, like a main road that runs through um, a good chunk of Faerun, really. That's, that's all it is, the Golden Way. It's like a mm. main road, basically. So okay. They want to tax things that use that to like transport goods and stuff, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they want to tax the golden way, so capitalism, question mark. And they would like to demand tribute from Thesk, T-H-E-S-K, to allow Eastern goods to reach that country. I have no idea what that means. Do you? 
<laughs> I know Thesk is a place in the unapproachable east or at least nearby. So I'm guessing that they just wanted to be, it sounds like from how you worded it, they just want to be terrors to Thesk. Mm-hmm. And they just want to, like, threaten them in order to get more trade from them. Very capitalist, like you're saying, which I kind of have to give credit to, I guess, the people who created Hatherins because capitalism is evil. So aligning capitalist <laughs> ideals with the Hatherin and being evil, I'm pretty about that, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's I on like brand. It. I kind of like it a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They would also like to conquer something called the Great Dale, which is a similar kind of forest area in the region and their plan is essentially to awaken the spirits of the land so similarly to how they have done in the rashimi land and to make it their home through doing that because they get that power from the land itself from the spirits in the land on their free time when they're not you know planning to conquer the great dale or taxing the golden way they have a few you know hobbies their hobbies include plotting against the hathrun their sisters They like torturing secrets out of enemies. They like using knowledge for power. And specifically for power, I put very much emphasis on power because they are very power hungry, even amongst themselves. Mm, Which is a no-no amongst the witches. Yeah, no, no, the, the... these are e- the evil witches. They they are very power hungry. They are very selfish. They only share spells if it's useful to them or their greater cause. Mm-hmm. Because trust no one except yourself. Even though you are a secret society slash cult in the midst of, you know, <laughs> a bigger society and you should be kind of working together. But they seem kind of disorganized, but kind of rooted in a common goal. Mm-hmm. But again where where's the organization how are you going to succeed or is it just you're disorganized and you won't succeed and that's like the learning opportunity here do they say specifically that they're disorganized because they do say that with drow society and with a lot of evil societies they make it like a point to say oh this evil society isn't going to win because their system is flawed or they're disorganized or they're not focused or is it more of like a general you got the same vibe without them really saying that out loud? they didn't need to say it i got the same vibe reading through the descriptions as i did reading through like the evil drow matriarchy where it's like they are trying to do things but they can't work together and they're all just tumbling around playing wrestling while the other world moves on because they can't organize themselves and get anything done but then again fun fact maybe this is a spoiler alert for them but they are also mostly dead so they did not succeed in overthrowing the hathron rip (laughs) so maybe that just explains how and why they disappeared Mm -hmm. definitely their other hobbies include Sending angry spirits to punish the careless. I don't know if they mean the Hathren. I don't know if they mean general people. I don't know if that's just them being tricksy and playing tricks on people, but they punish the careless. They like manipulating rulers. Yeah, very much, I would say, I would compare them to the Drow, another evil group, Mm. because I'm very confused and evil women in general are very confusing in D&D. Like, they could be badass. They have all of the trappings to be badass. 
Yeah. And on vibes alone, I love them. But again, it's just every evil organization in D&D is built to fail. And I understand mechanically why they do that. Because D&D is a game where you're supposed to play the hero. There are obviously evil campaigns. But good versus evil. Good triumphs evil. Right. You You get it to a point, but... Because this world is just so rich with lore and it's so rich with detail, mm-hmm. it just when when you do have like something like very strict alignment or good versus evil, because everything else is just so detailed and so rich, having something that binary, again, mm-hmm. I keep using that word today, but having something just one or the other, it just, it's disappointing. It's just disappointing. And you want a little bit more out of it. I'm really just speaking for myself here. I want more of it. Some people are totally content with having good and evil, fighting the bad guys or fighting the good guys if you're playing an evil campaign. That's awesome. You do you. I'm personally looking for more nuance. And I think having more nuance built in would be really rad. (laughs) I mean, like, there's one thing to say of, okay, it's still a campaign that you could be playing for your players or setting up for your players to play through. And it's one thing to say that, like, okay, this could be a way for you to defeat them if you went into this society. But it's not like they're stating this is how you would defeat them because they are disorganized and can't get their shit together because they're evil women. It's it's more so that they just, they're fundamentally like that. And yeah. I just don't know. It's confusing. Maybe it's not confusing and we're overthinking it. That could be very likely. We could be. We, we've been analyzing D&D for quite a long time. Yeah. Our brains could be totally wired differently three years later. <laughs> that is totally valid. <laughs> <laughs> but that brings me to my fun facts section, where I think took all the fun things about the Durathan. Are you ready or not? Here it comes. Because as you did mention in your section, that there are a lot of hags in the region. Guess what? Mm-hmm. They can be part of the dearth that they can join the dearth because they allow hags into their mist midst that one such hag that they've allowed into their mist is called chaul c-h-a-u-l chaul uh she is a neutral female anis hag who is part sorcerer and part dearth who lives in an old forest that once held rashimi troops but is now haunted by creatures. And that was, I think, sort of like a a citadel kind of fortress that you could go exploring in that used to be like a Rashimi stronghold that got uh, overtaken. And then because everything died and everyone died, then it was just the monsters crept and overtook it. And then now it's just haunted by creatures, including this Chawul, this female Anis hag, part Durthan. The Durthans also, and this is the wording of the actual source book, they follow Rashemi women. They think that they can convert. And my only question <laughs> is, when you say you follow women, is that like they're stalking? They are literally Probably. stalking these women in order to convert them? Because that was, but then again, they're evil. So I guess evil does what evil do. Yeah, it kind of, it's, it's aligned with their evil alignment. Mm. They also have a very iffy thing because they teach their underlings to join the Dark Order. But the rhetoric that is used in the two instances that they talk about this is very questionable. Very questionable. Because we've been talking about this 
a lot lately because they use the rhetoric and term of grooming when it comes to converting these women into the Dark Order. They specifically talk about the Chaul, so the Anishag sorcerer, who can groom women into joining her. And the Durthans uh. are said to groom women into joining them. And I just, I have to ask, what are your thoughts on the choice of word? Grooming can mean a couple of different things. When we think of grooming now, because of the conversations that are happening, not only in like the D&D space, but also just in the public sphere in general, grooming as seen as grooming a child to be your friend or something more into adulthood is one way to groom, but it's also, I think they might be using it in a more broad sense of just manipulating. I think they're just using it as a synonym for manipulating, but not understanding that grooming is also like a psychological term. Mm. (laughs) Or maybe they did understand that and that's exactly why they used it. I don't know. I don't think they, I don't, I guess I, I don't think that they mean like how they, how we use the term today but they could have so I could see it both ways I could see it like maybe they didn't mean to elicit that kind of you know rhetorical response but I could also see them well they're evil so maybe they would be using that word but either way like because it's an evil or supposed to be an evil like group of women Mm. it's 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 not like it doesn't fit in with how they're trying to portray them so Mm. it, it it's not like it's you know mistress actions being seen as grooming. Yeah. The last bit of lore that I have, which I already mentioned, they are probably all but dead. So in the year 595, a... I can't remember what the metric was for the years and how they go. DR, I think. DR? Yeah. I think it's DR. So in the year 595 DR, in the year of the coven, they were actually driven out of Rashomon. But then at some point after that, they were killed by the witches in something called the Witch War of Rashomon. And now they haunt the forest as angry ghosts. Rip. Yeah. Rest in peace. Which gets me to the prestige class. That was all the lore. And now we look at the prestige class, which according to a forum post I found on the Paizo forums, funnily enough, this person called the prestige class of the Durthan messy and poor because supposedly they were trying to convert the 3.5e prestige class into a Paizo-friendly version for one of their players. Oh. And so they were like, well, I have to use this messy and poor prestige class and how do I fix it? <laughs> and I just thought that was funny to mention. Anyway, the requirements of the prestige class to become a Durthan is you need to be female, but you do not need to be human because you can be a hag. And because it's not mentioned if you that it's only limited to humans and hags, you can, I guess, be anything else as well and join into the prestige class of the Jerthan. You do have to, however, be non-good aligned. That is very important. You cannot be good because good is Hathran territory and we do not vibe with that. You need to have three feats. One of which is an improved counterspell, which has no other requirements, but basically you just have a better 
ability to counter your opponent's spell. And you do need to have an iron will, which I did look up. And basically, you just have more, um, it's described as being, you're able to grit your teeth and shake off mental influences. So you are, and one of them's like, you have the mind ability of a rogue. So if you're stunned, you're dazed instead. You don't suffer penalty from being in pain or being fearful. And eventually you become immune to compulsion effects, which was interesting. So very like mental girth, kind of. And you have to be able to cast metamagic. They are similarly to the Hathran, you have to be able to cast second level arcane spells as well as second level divine spells. And you must qualify for something called regional feats from Rashomon or have like two ranks in knowledge of Rashomon. So you basically, it's very much tied to the Rashimi land in order to be a Durathan and probably also a Hathran, I'm guessing. You can use the land similarly to cast spells. Uh, you get no weapon or armor proficiencies. And sadly, there are no whips for the Durathans, <laughs> just the Hathans. <laughs> yeah, it's it. sad face. But you do, however, get a fey wolf companion called a Telthor, which is a companion creature or like a familiar kind of slash special mount creature that you get this supernatural bond with. And <laughs> the funny phrase that they use to describe this Telthor is that it will remain, the creature will remain, quote unquote, healthy as long as it's in one mile of the Durathan herself mm. so what it just gets sick of old age and dies if it's more than one mile away like i don't what what is healthy it will remain healthy yeah. i can see why that paizo person called it messy i don't know what that means <laughs> <laughs> and also what a strange detail to have for a companion prestige class <laughs> i don't know if it is lost or slain you wait one month and then you can conjure up another and once you get to the seventh level of dearth, then you can get two wolf babies to accompany on your adventures, which I thought was a vibe. It's a fey wolf, which is a vibe. I like it. A puppy. A pupper. A big pupper. Big fluffy pupper. And then the one weird thing that just kind of hit me from the back with a pan, because I don't know where it came from, is that they are ice queens because they supposedly somehow get cold resistances and i mean i think i understand where it comes from because you described the climate to be like a barren snow cold area that i kind of pictured as siberia so like i get it i get it but also but the hathren don't have it yeah it's just the dirt yeah. things it's not the hathrens there's no other kind of cold, specific cold things to do with the Rashimi culture from what I got from your description. So I'm just, it's just evil bitches are ice queens <laughs> is the explanation. The only explanation I can come up with because they, they, they work up to basically being immune to cold. They mm -hmm. get increased DCs to ha hit anything using their cold spells. So essentially... Their cold spells are so good, they can hit anything, even if their regular spells or other spells wouldn't be able to. And my question here would be, why are evil women always ice queens? Because this is, a, we had an episode of on oral. We, we did. We yeah. did a whole thing on ice queens. 
why? Why? I'm just gesturing to the Word document and like saying why and looking at it like it'll give me some kind of answer but it's not gonna give me some kind of answer and i'm very confused i don't know if you could tell i'm very confused they just don't know how to write evil women except to fill in these very specific cliche things that's my theory at least it could be completely wrong but at least from our background research of Ice Queens. Because obviously Ice Queen isn't the only archetype an evil woman can be. You have like the evil seductress kind of archetype. There's a couple more that come to mind. But yeah, it's just, I guess it's just easy to fall into, maybe. Mm -hmm. But cold resistance is just such a specific mechanical thing that I can totally see how you got the Ice Queen vibe from that and now i just want hatherins to have cold resistance i think everybody in rashman should have cold resistance because it's so fucking cold there so it's not necessarily that cold resistance is like a bad feature to have it's just like well why did just the hatherins get it why why doesn't everybody in rashman get it i'm Hmm. confused and i guess i guess i to round out my part of this i do see some similarities to the drow in kind of certain aspects of these dearth and being evil but also in terms of like the drow were in charge of their own society and a matriarchy or a flipped matriarchy mm-hmm. they were in power the problem that i have with comparing like the dearth ends as an evil society to the drow is that the dearthans are very much not in position of power they want to be in the way that Loth wanted to take over the Seldarine. So they have that kind of evil audacity to think that they can absolutely do that and they have the ability and it's within their reach and if they just do enough, they will be able to succeed. But however, mm-hmm. they, they're they not like in a position of power. So in comparison to the Drow, I feel like Durthans are very tame. Very, very tame. They're very much quote-unquote evil, but I don't necessarily know that they do compared to... Okay, I may be slightly desensitized to evil things because of this podcast, but they don't seem that much evil in terms of how they are described. Like, I picked out things like grooming, but that's not like a thing that they're necessarily doing unless they are actually doing that, and that's just the but word choice but yeah are they actually they so they use force they're very masculine in their ways of doing things which is unlike feminine and unlike women i guess and they're very not healers either which is kind of the box that they put hathrins and the rest of the rashomon witches into like yeah. there's no mention of healing or anything yeah so the anti-healing i think i guess could be explained with the whole ice queen thing because ice and snow and winter means non-rejuvenation non it's killing things and putting it in ice and freezing it over so anti-healing vibes maybe the only explanation i I can come up with because like killing plants in order to to go into winter like that's what the season does for winter that's that's the uh, Durthans and the Hathrins and the lore. And we are at the end, so we will figure out what we wanna what we wanna yell about in our conclusion. 
And we hope you have some thoughts because I'm very confused. So let's see what I can come up with in the next part <laughs> for the conclusion. And we're back in the conclusion of this episode on the Rashomon. We've had a drink of water. We've stretched it a little bit. We've done some inner soul searching and we're ready to answer some questions that we gave ourselves in our context part one and in Chardet's part two. So let's get right to it. For somebody who wrote down that I'm very confused and I am very confused, I have a lot of things to say. Let's begin. I think this episode boils down to one question. And that question to me is, what does true female leadership look like? On this podcast, we've looked at how women and feminine-coded characters and deities have been held down under the authority of male or masculine-coded characters through many episodes, many instances. And we usually get really angry that they are held down by, you know, these masculine-coded characters or there's somebody above them and they just don't get to be in that kind of leadership power that we would want to see them. Because, again, women in leadership is something in the real world that also could be seen as a struggle, depending on who you are, depending on their background. But in general, throughout history, women in leadership is not that common, or it hasn't been that common. Obviously, modern day and age, more common, more instances, more cases. But we're talking about a fantasy world. <laughs> This is not the real world. And it's an interesting case study of female leadership and political power. And in specifically with the Rashomon, it's female political leadership. Because in the real world, politics is inherently very masculine. It's something that's been held by men for a long time. And I think I'm slightly disappointed in the Rashomon description because... Where they sort of are in political power, they still put men at the forefront of their power. Now, the context isn't given as to why they do so, or it's not given to me as a, or it's not justified well enough for me to understand why they do so. So I beg to ask the question, is that them actually being in power? And is that what a woman in power looks like? Because leading people being in political leadership doesn't have to be very masculine. We're not in the real world. We're in fantasy. And there is a way to be lead by using feminine values. So having an actual matriarchy, uh, using a motherly role, helping others succeed kind of thing, helping each other succeed kind of thing, which partially, yes, the Rashomon want to help each other succeed. But do they also want to help the men succeed? I guess it's up to interpretation, but I don't necessarily think that it was firm enough in the description of the lore to say that they treated men in a sinister or like in a, in a different way than they treated each other. Or maybe that's just me. But are they helping men succeed by placing them as figureheads? Or is it something else entirely? Because uh, I, for me, I feel that the lore writing seemed incomplete in that regard. 
because I'm not persuaded one way or the other. And it's also in the context of fantasy, so I don't even know what the general kind of vibe is in D&D, other than the fact that I know it's based on real world, so I'm going to suppose that the norm is going to be men in power, if that makes sense. But I also think that we are reading way too much into this, and the creators who were putting this on paper did not think this deep. They said it's not that deep as far as our analysis goes. So I'm confused, but I'm going to finish off with answering some of the questions that we gave ourselves. Is this a gynecocracy? I would hesitate to call it one just because I don't, I'm not sold on what the role of men is in Rashimi society because they're still very much at the forefront. While women tend to be in power in their politics, they are somehow putting men and giving them with a surprising amount of power. And I'm unclear on why. The reason I do not understand. If you do, maybe you can try and explain it to me. But in answer to the question, are they gynecocracy? Yes, a majority of women in this political society or in this politics, political sphere are in power, yes. But is it only women in political power? Eh, maybe. I don't know. I'm not convinced. Is it a matriarchy? I do not think it's a matriarchy based on explanations of lore, but again, the lore seems incomplete for me to fully be able to determine whether or not it's a matriarchy. It is definitely not a flipped patriarchy, but I wouldn't call it a definite matriarchy either. They care about themselves, but I wouldn't say that they care about necessarily like the men and everyone else there. And in the question of how do they compare to the drow, with the drow, the Rashimi both give men positions of power. Whether they do it for sinister reasons or not is up to interpretation. The drow do it for sinister reasons. and Or they, they gave men positions of power, sort of, but then they also like held them down. The Rashimi are different. One is good, one is evil. But they both enforce mandatory laws on men, which are non-negotiable for them so similarities yes which is interesting as one is a good society one is an evil one do they put up a caricature a caricature or a gender style to say in power i'd claim that they do because they use masks which provide them with anonymity it's giving cold it's giving detached it's giving mysterious not evil necessarily but not warm and tender either. Probably more masculine than feminine. And this leads me to my last question. How masculine is their political sphere? For the women, it reads slightly masculine. They're, it's not warm. It's not tender. It's not motherly, which is what femininity would be. So in that regard, is, politi is politics masculine inherently? Because do you have to be like that in order to succeed in politics? I don't know. That's a rhetorical question that I don't have the answer to. I don't know. What does femininity look like in politics anyway? Is it able to succeed? Do we have a fantasy world where it does succeed? So these are just thoughts and vibes. I have no answers here. Thanks for coming to my rant questions. Exit stage left. Thank you. Thank you.
for all of those thoughts. You answered some of the questions I was also going to answer in mine. So I'll just glaze over kind of what I have because I I agree. I'm also very confused. I am also angry and disappointed in Rashomon society because I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How dare you? I wanted to have a nice episode on witches and just singing their praises and singing how good they were with Rashomon society and how Rashomon society is great. But that is not what this episode turned into. And it killed me a little bit inside. Not going to lie. I think very similar to Lissa, I am pretty confident in saying that Rashomon society is absolutely not a matriarchy, specifically by how we define what a matriarchy is for our very specific definition. You can go back to our drow part one episode on how we define matriarchy. I'm also hesitant to call it a gynocracy or gynecocracy. By the quote, woman in political power definition, it does fit But it's only magical women, not women without magic, not all women. So women do have rights in the society. They aren't discriminated against per se, but they don't have the same opportunities as regular men do. So like positions of power or some such, because literally every other political position or position of power is held by men. And Benefit of the doubt, this is somewhat similar to gynocratic queens, right? So the queens in like medieval Europe who, yes, they were at the highest like throne of their kingdom, but their advisors were all men. It kind of gives that same vibe. So in that respect, it is gynocratic, but because gynocratic society is so hard to kind of really define what it is... I'm still not quite sure if I would put that label on it because the women running society are not all women running society. It's one very specific group of women with one very specific talent. So that's going to be a question I continue to ponder as we continue to look into what gynocracy really means and how to more clearly define it. And just in general to it just seems in Rashomon society that men also have seemingly more opportunities in society without being doubted or questioned. So the Dejema warrior culture, they have all these opportunities and it's not that women don't also, but it's either optional or it's seen as a pleasant surprise when there's a woman warrior. It's not expected for women to succeed. I still really like the vibe and I like what they were trying to go for, but In my opinion, it falls prey to the same shortcomings of drow society. They put women in power, but like Lissa said, it didn't seem that they fully thought out what those women in power would do for other people in society, specifically women and potentially other marginalized genders. And that makes the women in power, the Wyclaren, the witches of Rashomon, almost have a sinister vibe, which could be great. I'm all for a sinister vibe, evil women running a city. That's fine. But clearly that's not what they were going for because judging by the existence of the Durthan, who exist clearly as the opposite of Wyclaren, and also the emphasis on Wyclaren not being outwardly evil, that's clearly not what they were going for. They were going for like good or neutral women who are magical running society. 
which could just be, it has so much potential to be so great, but they just didn't think deep enough. They thought deep enough to give men roles in society. They thought deep enough to flush out other parts of Rashman society. But again, like with the drow, they just don't understand or they seem to not understand the ramifications of when you put women in power because it happens so rarely in real life that people just don't know how to write it potentially is an explanation. Not an excuse, but an explanation. But very similar to Lissa, I'm also very confused. I'm angry. I am all over the place. Our delve into Rashomon has been an absolute trip and a half. So if you are still with us, thank you so, so much for listening. And thank you to all those who suggested we look into the Witches of Rashomon. There have been many suggestions on many social medias and emails reaching out to us. If you have any other topic suggestions for us to look into, our DMs and our email is always open. Uh, Our email is slovenlytrolls at gmail.com. I keep forgetting to plug it, but I'm trying to be better at it. And if you want to fact check our asses, we actually have a whole new source page now. We have our own website. So our new sources can be found at slovenlytrolls.com slash sources. Look at that. Wow. All new and organized. And it's all pretty. Go check it out and fact check us. And please, for the love of God, help us figure out what the fuck a gynocracy is. Uh, and also rate us on Spotify, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Lissa is composing songs literally as we speak for those of you who do. So you can do that. You can write a written review on Apple Podcasts. There's also a Q&A little feature on Spotify where you can leave us like a little review or a nice comment. You may also get a song that way. Just tell us how you're feeling. Tell us how you're vibing. We love to hear from you. And um, hopefully by the time this episode is up, we will also have a new Patreon. Hello. Uh, we are now going to be at patreon.com slash slovenly trolls. We got lore rewrites coming back. We've got slovenly trolls after dark, which we've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast, which is our after show where we unwind and talk about content. We're going to bring back bitches and books. It's going to be a great time. So if you want to head over there, we will be over there. You can also hang out with us on social media. We're on Twitter, on Instagram, on Blue Sky, on Threads, on TikTok, basically wherever you can have a social media presence, we try to be. And I think that is it. So thank you again so much for listening. Uh, We've been the Slovenly Trolls. And don't forget the number one rule of D&D. Don't be be a a dick. dick. Bye. Bye.